Hi, Brad Klein here for TurfNet uh, Renovation Report. Uh, our guest today is Tom Feller, Certified Superintendent and General Manager at Cedar Rapids Country Club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Our conversation today is brought to you by our sponsors, uh, Golf Preservations, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. Uh, Tom, uh, welcome to uh, TurfNet Renovation Report. Uh, you've been a you were a superintendent for what 16 17 years there at Cedar Rapids I was here uh, 19 years as, as a superintendent well you were uh, you're in a mid-sized American city kind of a good Midwest town and um, obviously every superintendent faces some issues what's it like dealing with uh, a, I would assume a fairly limited labor market and obviously Cedar Rapids nationally ranked uh, among the top 100 classic courses, you're the, the show in town. Um, can you give uh, folks a, a sense of the kind of issues you deal with, uh, on a, we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis as superintendent there? I would agree, Brad. I think, uh, you know, labor is definitely the number one issue we have here. Uh, you know, in the past, when I started here in 2002, it seemed, you know, more college kids were working, more high school kids would come out and work. Um, these days, it seems like there's been a shift to where it's just tough to find those those type of employees, um, and then especially the seasonal employees. I mean, we just don't have that type of market in Cedar Rapids for that uh, group. So it's 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 hard to fill the shoulder seasons, especially. And um, that's particularly important because given the climate and all that, uh, September, October are probably the best times to be playing golf out there, aren't they? Yeah, they're the best, by far, they're the best times to play. Yeah. You know, and so really, I think right now, um, you know, we're kind of shifting to more full-time labor just to fill, you know, those, those shoulder seasons. And, and there's, there's plenty of work to do uh, in the off season also. Um, so we might just try to do a little cross training with them in the clubhouse in the off season, just to help uh, fill some voids in here also. Now, over the years that you were superintendent, Cedar Rapids made uh, big strides nationally, a lot of attention. The Donald Ross course, it's the only the only Ross course in, in the state of Iowa. You came kind of out of nowhere and made uh, big strides. Can you tell us about the internal planning and what it was like for you as a superintendent to essentially um, push through, if that's the right term, or to deal with uh, a major restoration program? Yeah, so we, we started interviewing architects, you know, early on, like 2003, 2004, um, had a nice plan from Bobby Weed, uh, never really surfaced, uh, came back in 2011 and 12 and interviewed Ron Pritchard along with a few other uh, architects. Ron was definitely the guy we, we wanted. Um, he came through with a plan. We started to kind of circulate the plan through the membership. I think all along, we were communicating that we were looking to restore the golf course. I don't think 90% of the membership really knew what that meant. Um, so, you know, we started to try to educate them along the way. Started with the heavy, you know, a, quite a heavy tree removal program, you know, 2007, 2008. You know, we brought in the USGA, brought in some agronomists, brought in, you know, some arborists. Started identifying all the trees prior to this restoration. Um, to try to, I knew that was going to be a big hurdle for us as we had about, you know, 5,000 trees on the golf course, a lot of understory that were planted in the 70s and 80s, uh, along with our big mature oaks. 
And so getting to that point, I think that helped once we finally got to the plan of in 2012 with Ron, uh, we started, you know, he, we presented the plan. It was approved by the membership and we just started, we wanted to kind of showcase how we were going to get started. So uh, we decided to do uh, start with number, number one, number four, and number 10, because um, you could see them from the clubhouse uh, and they were visually impacting. So we thought that those would be the best place to start. So we started there. Membership bought into what we were doing. Um, and then we just kind of kept flowing along. We did, you know, 90% in-house. We hired a shaper, but uh, we really, the bulk of the labor was done with our own staff. Um, a lot of clubs would be willing to take on debt to do that and maybe even to shut down. You chose a more modest path. Uh, the, uh, the combination of restoration with uh, your own labor, how did that uh, how did you manage to negotiate that while play was going on? Because I gather one of the goals was to keep the golf course open the whole time. It was. So basically we just would just do it in the shoulder months uh, after Labor Day and try to have everything buttoned up before Memorial Day. And so you know, we were hoping for some mild winters during that time. You never get that, of course. But um, it, it worked out pretty well. And we used all just uh, capital funds. We, we just utilized our capital budget over the course of the three years um we did get some donations for the first three holes of a group of guys that really wanted to uh see it happen and see it through so they we, we started with some with probably 50 people that just donated money towards the project um and the rest was used with capital funds without a yeah without any assessment and how detailed a set of plans did you work with or was it more kind of a uh in the field, adjusting, shaping, and, and and Ron Pritchard sitting there, you know, nodding approval or screaming and yelling. Well, we all know Ron and his detailed plans are on a, you know, eight by 11 piece of paper with a drawing. It's, they're really cool. Um, but he, and you know, he, we worked with a shaper called, his name is Tyler Ray. Ron and Tyler worked well, worked hard on a couple other projects. Um, so, Tyler, fortunately, Tyler knew a lot of Ron's work um, and how he and how he works. So uh, the shaping was done by him. Uh, but we did do a lot of adjustments in the field. I mean, it's easy. You know, Ron comes out of Philadelphia, he made a couple of visits, but for him to draw everything out there and bring it, you know, send it to Iowa, he doesn't know where some things are located. You know, especially some main lines that we had where we. Had well, I, I thought you, I thought you meant he didn't know where Cedar Rapids was located. Well, he has trouble with Cedar Rapids a lot of times. He calls it Cedar Ridge. He calls it various things, but we know what he intends to call. <laughs> yeah. And how um, how should I put it? Technically uh, sophisticated were the bunkers in terms of did you use liners? Did you use um, you know what? How did you build those bunkers? You know, the bunkers, most of the bunkers were built to keep water out of them. Um, there were a couple of holes where that was difficult, but we decided not to use liners. Um, we, we used a, a local quarry that was, that's located 20 minutes from town um, for the sand. We've got 10 holes in the floodplain, and I just didn't feel like it made a lot of sense to bring in a high dollar sand from out of state to fill that, um, especially when we're an old classic golf course, uh, really the browner, the sand, the better, I always thought. And Ron agreed and we all kind of agreed on that. So 
as I recall, the, the basic uh, renovation took a couple of years, didn't it? Three, four years to implement? Three, th about three and a half years, yes, correct. And uh, then you had, what, a senior, you had a USGA national championship here for the first time. We like the senior women's, senior women's AM came in in 2019. And then just about a year later, you had a little windstorm come by. I think it was August of uh, 2020. Tell us about this uh, derecho that um, passed through uh, Cedar Rapids. Yeah, what a crazy event. You know, first of all, I've never heard of a derecho until then. So really didn't have any idea what was happening. But um, we actually had an outing that day. We have one outing a year, and we had an outing that day. And... I had some friends call me from the Des Moines area and tell me that this crazy windstorm's heading our way and you just kind of blow it off. And I, I just remember, you know, we got everybody off the golf course and we, you know, there for every outing, you have signs out there. So I'm like, we should maybe make sure we get these signs off the course before this wind blows them away. So, you know, we're out gathering signs and racing, you know, to the clubhouse and, um, we had a beverage station out on number six and I went out, I grabbed my truck and went out and helped gather all the stuff out of that and bring it in. And I got caught basically right in the middle of the parking lot with it. But uh, yeah, we had 140 mile an hour winds blow through for about 40 minutes. Um, and it was just crazy. Did you ride out that storm uh, in the clubhouse and watch it? Because it was quite the event uh, well, the whole city was shut down for several weeks. What was it like experiencing that from your vantage point? It was, you know, we uh, actually, I was in my truck for in the parking lot for the 40 minutes. So I, I had a firsthand look at the trees blowing by me and down and branches blowing. Um, There's probably another six or seven cars in the parking lot at the time. Uh, we had all the, you know, we had kids camp going on. We had you know, the clubhouse was full of people. It's full of activity that day. So everybody was locked. It, it was, we're in the locker rooms, um, lost all contact because cell phone towers were down. And uh, so really, as you're talking, I remember talking to my daughter and next thing you know, the phone's dead and you lost radar. You couldn't bring up anything. So it was, yeah, it was a, a wild storm to say the least. At what point during that did you have a sense of, I mean, you're experiencing it around you. You're seeing things flying and cracking and popping and everything. At what point did you have a sense of the real scale of what turned out to be one of the most devastating windstorms in, I think, Iowa history, if not the United States? Yeah, right, right after the storm. So the storm kind of blew through, uh, you know, probably within the hour I... I had some guys down at my shop yet um, who I was really worried about because um, there were roofs blown off up around the clubhouse, some buildings that we had damage to. So I was just going to drive down to our shop and I went around the backside of the clubhouse and there was, you weren't driving anywhere. I mean, it was, the golf course was just devastated. There was I mean, these big, mature 150 year old oak trees that were just uprooted and falling down and that you weren't getting anywhere. But what was nice to see was my guys were actually in, in the track steers driving up, trying to clear the road so they could get at least get, we had access in and out. But we had members that were stuck on, on 27th Street Drive with trees down um, with their kids in the car. I mean, it was brutal. 
I mean, it was uh, something, you know, I don't, you know, you hope you never see it again, but it, it was quite an experience. And thankfully, unbelievably, we had, I mean, no one got hurt within our property. And I think in the city, I think we only had two or three deaths out on the roads, you know, because of that. So, I, which is amazing to me. And then you're faced now with, I assume, shutdown, cleanup for months afterwards after that event, right? And how did that go? Because, frankly, when you have a massive storm like that, golf courses are not exactly a, a major social priority. Um, how did that? Yeah, and one thing about it, like members weren't. Every member had damage to their homes uh, and their properties, and so there wasn't a huge rush for them to get back out here. You know, it was, they had to take care of their own homes or properties or themselves. Um, we had to just take day by day. You know, I was just trying to figure out, we, we worked with some tree companies over the years um, prior to our restoration, you know, that I, that I had a good um, rapport with. So I called them immediately, they came out, but we ended up actually going with a logging company uh, out of Dubuque, Iowa and they came in and just started hauling trees out. I mean, it was, I never thought I'd have a logging company on the golf course and it was quite an experience. They did a great job though. I mean, I'm glad we went that route. Uh, and actually my son, Tommy took over the, the superintendent position at that time. He came in with, um, actually I was talking to my club president uh, right after derecho and with all the trees down and he's like, because at the time I was doing both positions of the GM and the superintendent. And he's like, you need to get some help in here. So he goes, we, we were in the talks with Tommy at the time. Um, I honestly can't believe he came in and took the job with seven or 800 trees laying on the ground, but um, he did thankfully. And so he, he actually worked with the logging company and, and I think that was one of the best calls we made to get them in here because they were, they were in and out of here within, probably a month maybe i time's kind of shaky right now because i don't really recall for for sure but they got in and out of here quicker than any tree company would have gotten in and out of here well some courses uh, want to go through uh, tree management i guess you did it um you backed into it so to speak you know <laughs> you sort of you know and, and now to what extent has the golf course character changed as a result of that storm well, I, I think, you know, the scale of the properties really changed. You know, you lose all the trees and we just got our restoration finished. And honestly, I think really in 2019, when we had the USGA uh, amateur, we, I felt like the course was really where it needed to be. Like, it was like, that's the first time I really stepped back and said, man, we really have it dialed in. And so then to see that happen, um, it's kind of like you need to start over, you know, you need to, now the bunkers look kind of small, the fairways are, you know, too narrow. I mean, so that's why we, we immediately called Ron uh, Pritchard and brought him back out and analyzed the course again to basically start over, you know. Interesting. Our guest today is Tom Feller, who is uh, currently general manager and former superintendent at Cedar Rapids Country Club in Iowa. Uh, we're here for TurfNet renovation report 
and we want to thank our sponsors, uh, Golf Preservations, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. We'll come back in a, in a minute or two to discuss life uh, for a former superintendent who's now running uh, as G, uh, who is running the general operations uh, of a club. We'll be right back. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit GolfPreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for aerification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences, all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. Welcome back. This is Brad Klein for TurfNet Renovation Report. Um, our guest today is Tom Feller, who is former superintendent and now current general manager at Cedar Rapids Country Club. And we want to thank our sponsors, Golf Preservations, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. Uh, Tom, uh, you're general manager. You've been general manager for a couple of years now. Um, they, my sense is that there are a lot of superintendents who have been in the business as long as you are who would love to move up or move out and move on, uh, it gets kind of tiring. How did you make the move? And uh, what lessons are there for uh, your colleagues in the, who are considering such a transition? I, I decided uh, I was here, you know, for 19 years as a superintendent. Uh, I feel like I know them, you know, I've gotten to really know the membership, know what their expectations are. I understand the Midwest. Um, and so, and with that, I've gone through, you know, in my 19 years, I think we've gone through six or seven general managers since I've been here. So, well, that says a lot for you. <laughs> if you're the one who's outlasted them. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, so when we when we were going into the interview for the next general manager, ours ours left in the spring of 2019. Um, they actually asked me if I would you know, help the club get through that period until we hired a new one. So I said, sure, I'll do that. And um, 
I was part of the interview process and we brought in three prospects and all good guys. Uh, but every, every time we would meet after the interviews with the guys, would, you know, the, the board president would be like, what do you think? And I'd always say, you know, this or that, or this or that, you know? And he's like, so after the third one, he goes, I don't, he goes, I don't know if we're going to find one that satisfies you. And I go, I, I'm not saying that. I just feel like, you know, they just, they're all telling them kind of the same story and, and it's, you know, they're making a lot of promises and I don't know how they, how they're going to get that. So he's like, well, what are your thoughts about doing it? And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I really want to get into it or not, but I'll think about it. So anyway, I ended up going for the position. Um, it's been very interesting to say the least, um, but it's been fun. You know, uh, I, I looked at it as, We've got a good, we've really got a good team here. I know all the department heads. Uh, there's not a lot of change that needs to be made. It's just working together with them to get the right outcome. And I feel like we knew what the, I knew what the member experience needed to be. Um, I felt like we could do some improvements around the clubhouse service side. Uh, the, the department has all agreed. So after I actually met with them prior to taking the position to make sure they were all on board with me doing it. Um, and it's worked out really well for everyone, I think. Uh, how much do you need to know about, you know, Merlot and Bernays sauce and uh, fixing up a, 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 sand, or a walleye? We're here at Iowa <laughs> walleye. How much yeah. do you have to learn about that? Or how much is it a matter of trusting the people you've hired to do that? Right. It's for me, it's all about trusting the people I hired. I, I told them from day one and I told the board when I took the job, I go, I'm not going to be your person in the dining room every night. I mean, I'm just not, I don't even know what side of the table to serve, what side of the shoulder to serve from or pick up plates from. So I'm not that person, but I know we have a good clubhouse manager that is that person. Um, and we've got good staff that know how to do it. So uh, we've got a great chef. And so, you know, you look at those people and you're like, you, I instill a lot of trust in them to get the job done. And if I, I give them the feedback that I get and we just try to, you know, you're always, you're always trying to fix a few things here and there, right? I mean, nothing's, the world's not perfect and you're never going to satisfy, you know, we have 600 members and, you know, probably with that 1800 total family in the families. So, you know, you look at, you're not going to satisfy every taste. I mean, you just, that's just never going to happen. Um, Cedar Rapids Country Club is truly a social uh, club. You're in the middle of a very nice residential area. So it's, it's, it's used, the clubhouse is used year round. So there's a pretty good mix of activity here. It looks, uh, my understanding of golf, uh, social events, book clubs, dining, wine, and this and that. Uh, how much of your time is spent on the house issues? How much of it is on the golf? And then how much of it is really just matter of spreadsheets and budgets and payroll and planning i i mean i spend i try to spend you know no more than four to five hours in my office i'm not a huge office guy but you have to spend four to five hours in the office whether it's just returning emails phone calls uh you know budget type work now right now we're in a lot of budget work so we're spending more time on that uh but i also you know during the season i'm out i mean i'm around the golfers, uh, you know, don't do a lot with the pool, but just I'm around the facility a lot. Um, just I'd rather be out and talking to people than stuck in the stuck in behind my laptop. Or, 
are you able to sleep in a little more than most superintendents are not good about uh what's the word it's hard to sleep in after 7 a.m if you're a superintendent is that I one mean, of the benefits yeah. you don't know there's no benefit to that i mean you feel like you waste half your day i still you know i still wake up at five every morning i don't come in at five because you do you only have so much you know i during the season um i'm in here by seven and off season i'm try i'm here at eight but our admin, you know, for like the controller and, and payroll and all that, they come in like at nine thirty or ten. I'm like, I'm ready for lunch by the time they come in. Right. <laughs> um, you've obviously had contact with colleagues uh, in not just the GCSAA but in the uh, club managers association. Are you seeing more superintendents making this shift? I have seen some. Yeah, I I have seen more make them, and I I think they're successful in it too. And I haven't I haven't really talked to any that. Um, said, oh my God, it was a wrong move. I think it's guys that were ready to make the shift. And they, you know, really it's, I feel like we always looked at that profession as, as, as a club manager, as that's something we never want to do because, you know, we know more than, I don't know. I just feel like I had never really had a, we just went through them so fast. You never even got to know club the club manager or the general manager at the club so mm -hmm. um you never had a lot of trust or faith in him i think but um you know i, I guess i i look at it differently they're kind of it's a tough position especially for a new one coming in because they don't have the confidence of the membership they don't know the membership they're put in a tough position from the get-go so i i have a lot of respect for them um now i would say and after being in it for three years i think and I, but I, I'm enjoying it now. It took me a year. It took me a good year because the satisfaction, I think, you know, when you prepare a golf course every day, you walk, you get down at the end of the day, you're like, man, you, you visually can look at it and say, boy, it's, I did, it looks beautiful today. You know, when you get into this, it's like, well, you know, it's hard to see that as a general manager. I mean, now you're looking at year end and we're looking at financials and like, boy, it was a really good year, you know? But it's just not as rewarding, I would say, as being a superintendent. Well, there's more emotional. There might be more emotional ups and downs because a lot of your fate as a superintendent is dependent, as you know, on weather. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that's a big variance. But uh, the one big difference is, at least as a superintendent, there are times when you can hide from the uh, the complainers and some of the the experts or the you know the Google experts who have read two articles on turf grass and are going to tell you what to do. It's very hard to hide from members. I suppose you have to have a certain kind of tactfulness and diplomacy and capacity to deal uh, thoughtfully with people. Um, not, all, not all superintendents have that characteristic about them. No, I, I agree with that. And when, and when I, you know, one thing I did when I took the job is I told them, I, you know, I, I made in my agreement, it's, you know, I, I come in for special, I come in for all the events, you know, Easter, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, I'm here for in the clubhouse you know, at night, during the day, on Sundays for those type of events. But I'm not here every night, you know, till eight o'clock for dinner hour. I'm just, I said, you know, I'm just not that guy. And if you want that guy, then you need a different general manager. And they, basically they, I took the title of director of golf slash general manager, but um, they wanted me really to be here because I've gotten to know the membership so well. And I think we have respect for each other and, uh, they have the confidence in me. And so uh, I feel like, you know, our days, my days haven't gotten longer. I would say that. I mean, 
they, I know when I can cut it off and I don't, the first year I felt guilty if I wasn't here every night till eight o'clock and I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. uh, any advice for superintendents who are thinking about making that kind of a career shift? I mean, in your case, it wasn't actually sort of deliberately planned. It sort of made sense to slide into this new position. Uh, but certainly for some superintendents, you know, and I can think of a number of them uh, and uh, have made that shift. What's what advice would you give uh, a superintendent who's been there 10, 12 years about thinking about a career change or career shift? I think you, first and foremost, you have to look at the board and, and the operate, you know, the governance of the club. I, I, I've got a very supportive board. They let me run the operation. They don't get involved. Um, committees have, you know, at one point committee, we were kind of committee driven and we aren't that way anymore. Um, so it's been that I feel like that's number one. That was number one for me. And that's made my life so much better from the time I took the general manager job to three years later. Um, they have, they fully support everything I want to do in the operation. You have to look at the membership and how you get along with the membership um, communication. You know, you got you got to be out, you know, you got to be out and you got to want to talk to members and you, you have to be thick skinned because you, you you know, not every, not every comment is positive. I mean, I, and you have to be able to read, you know, the surveys at the end of the day and, and, and not be afraid to, you know, sit down with your chef or sit down with your clubhouse manager and talk about the issues that you have. I mean, I think, and be able to drive a team. I mean, I think those are the things I look at is it, I knew, if I could develop the team, I feel like, and I have, we've, we've hired, uh, we've actually hired two golf pros since I took over. Um, the current golf pro is excellent. Hired a controller. Um, the chef came in, you know, right when I moved here into this position and then um, the superintendent. So I've had a lot of new, new blood in, in the, as department heads, but they're all dedicated. Um, and they're all strong. So I, I feel like I'm in a great position right now. Um, you have an unusual relationship with the superintendent because he's your son uh, and he had his own career trajectory. So there's no, it's not nepotism. It's just, he was ready for it. But uh, how involved are you in those sort of issues about turf grass management, chemical applications and so on? I'm not very involved at all. First year I was because I just couldn't step away enough, but um he he runs his operation. I let him run it. I, I I do walk the course a lot just because I love being out there and I love to see what's going on. But there's times, you know, I have to just go back to the clubhouse. I mean, I I he does things the way he wants to do them, and a lot of, some of it's not the way I would do it, and that's okay. You know, I just have to. I'm I any of my assistants would always tell you that that I had over the years would say that I was a control, I was a control freak and I probably was. And so I, there's a lot of times it's difficult for me, but I have full faith in him and trust in him. So it's, it's good. And we have a lot of good conversations at the end of the day. That's when I really, you know, enjoy talking to him. It's when the staff leaves, I still end a lot, end a lot of my days down at the, down at the main facility talking to him. Are you able to get some golf in now? It's always the bane of uh, superintendents, yeah. golf pros. I, I assume general managers. Uh, are you able to play as much or some now? I haven't. I've, I think I've played the golf course twice this past year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's no. It, 
to, to tell you how much I play, I'm a I'm still a six point nine handicap, and I probably play to a fifteen. So that's how many scores I've recorded in the last five or six years. Yeah, well, they always say if you want to, if you love golf, then don't do it for a living. Exactly right. I I really enjoy going other places to play. I mean, I do. I love uh-huh. going to see other different courses. Uh huh. When you do, most superintendents have said when uh, when they play their own course, they're looking down and they don't get to look up till they go someplace else. Uh, so when you look at a golf course now, when you're traveling or whatever events, are you looking at the golf course, the clubhouse, the whole operation? What do you find yourself kind of thinking about? Well, I think, I think it's from my, right now, from my own standpoint, I look at the whole, you know more of the whole operation. You know, I used to just be golf course uh, focused and. Now I'm trying, you know, I'm seeing just different things uh, as I do that. Even in the dining rooms, you know, it's just different. Um, paying more attention, but I've also, I'm also trying to learn that side of it too. So I find, you know, kind of interesting. I mean, I love looking at. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm on the golf course. I'm definitely, you know, looking at the beauty of it and design aspects. But I don't really. I'm there to have a good time and relax. I don't really. I'm not there to critic be a critic of it or. I'm just mm-hmm. there to enjoy it. Well, that's great. Our, our guest today, Tom Feller, general manager uh, at Cedar Rapids Country Club, former superintendent here. Uh, our conversation through TurfNet renovation report has been brought to you by uh, Golf Preservations, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. Tom Feller, uh, certified golf course superintendent and GM. It's a real honor to speak with you. And uh, best of luck uh, in 2023. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the interview.